God, we pray that as we come tonight to this difficult text, that you would help us to see truth, that you would enable us by the power of your spirit to, to see how you have wired and created us to desire meaning, and you have provided it in a place that is um, not ex- we didn't expect, in a place that we often don't search. And so, Lord, we pray that you would humble our hearts and open our minds and give us attention to, to really think and to explore the depths of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight we begin a new series, and the series is entitled The Chase, a study through the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. And I am really excited about this series. I kind of should be excited about every series, you know, but this one especially because this is one of my favorite books. I love this book. It's beautifully written. It speaks the language of my mind, which is a language of skepticism. It's a book of exploration. It's a book uh, that causes you to question and to doubt. And so I'm really excited to go through this series. But before we jump in, I want to kind of lay a few things out because if I don't, uh, we would all be lost the farther we go into this book. And so the first thing is the very first verse, the very first sentence of the book starts like this. It says, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son who ruled in Jerusalem. So there's a lot of debate about who actually is the author of this book, who's the narrator of the book. And most people assume that the narrator is Solomon, that he was, in fact, King David's son. He was the king of Jerusalem, and he was a teacher. He was known as the wisest man to ever live. And so most people attribute this book to Solomon. But what's interesting is that the author of this book is never named. And Solomon, in his other books, identifies himself. He names himself. And so there's some debate of whether it's Solomon or somebody who's taking on Solomon's persona or maybe another king. But it doesn't really matter who the author is because the author has intentionally left themselves out of it because the author wants you to focus on the main character of the book. And the main character of the book is the teacher. The Hebrew word is the koheleth. And different translations will, will kind of translate this word differently. Some will say the teacher, some will say the preacher, but neither one of those descriptions really encapsulates what this Hebrew word means. It's really hard to translate because, yes, the Koheleth is in fact a teacher because he's teaching wisdom and he's sharing knowledge. He is in fact a preacher because he's preaching a message and he's sharing something here. Uh, that he wants people to take and apply to their lives. But it's more than that. The the Koheleth is really more like an explorer. The teacher is going to explore some really uncomfortable places. He's going to explore and chase after answers in places where most people don't often discuss because they're afraid of how people may look at them if they begin to really doubt and to really question. So this sense, the teacher is more like a philosopher, so the, the, the Koheleth is a philosopher, preacher, teacher, explorer of the deep and murky and confusing questions of life and meaning and faith. And that is what this book is about, what draws you in. You're going to follow the teacher on this exploration of life and faith and meaning. And oftentimes when you're reading through this 
book, and maybe when Michael was reading, you were thinking the same thing. It causes you to kind of sit in a, in a place of doubt, to kind of feel like you're floating in a sea of doubt, and you have a lot of questions that begin to kind of spur your mind on. You begin to think about it. You begin to process. And I want you to feel that. In this series, as we journey over the coming weeks, I want you to feel that. I want you to think and to explore and to question and, yes, to doubt. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And so often what happens is in the church or in Christian communities, you can feel like you're not allowed to doubt. Have you ever felt like that? You feel like you, you have questions, you have doubts, but maybe you don't feel like it's safe to share them because the answer to your doubt feels like just have faith. And you don't want people to, to think that you don't have faith uh, or that you're not a Christian or you don't believe because you have doubt. And that's unfortunate because all of us in this room, every single one of us, even those that later will say, oh, no, no, I don't have any doubts. We all have doubts. We all have questions. There are things that crop up in our minds and there's seasons that we go through where we begin to, to doubt and to think and to question and that's good, and it's healthy. And some of you that have been in the church for a while, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I've been around the church, and I've, I've read a lot of the Bible, and I know in the book of James, James says, do not doubt. He says, do not doubt. He says, if you doubt, you're going to have an un you're going to be unstable, and you're going to be double-minded. Instead, James says to ask in faith. So, Carter, you know, I respectfully disagree with you. You're saying it's okay to doubt, and that's healthy. James, in the Bible, says, do not doubt. I'm going to go with James, you know? See, it's unfortunate that we have kind of put doubt and faith against each other, as if they're opposites, and faith cannot contain doubt. Oftentimes, if you've been around people and you've shared your doubts, the response has been what? Just have faith. Just, as if faith doesn't include doubt. So the question is, if faith and doubt are not opposites, and if doubt is an important aspect of faith, you're supposed to explore and to think and to question, then what is James talking about when he says, do not doubt? Because we don't want to be double-minded, you don't want to be unstable, and if James says, do not doubt, then you should probably understand what he means by that. See, what James is saying in this passage is really important for us to get as we start this series. He's saying that the doubt that should be refrained from, the doubt that you should avoid, is doubt that is not tested. It's doubt that kind of goes like this. Well, I doubt that because I feel like this is right. I haven't done any exploring. I haven't really looked into it. I haven't really thought about it. I haven't really got around other people and heard different opinions. I haven't really studied it. But I just feel like this is the right answer. It's untested doubt. Because when you have untested doubt, you will be double-minded and you will be unstable. In fact, James, in the same chapter where he says, do not doubt, he says, test your faith. He says to test it, to explore it, to question, to doubt, and to, in fact, even doubt your doubts. To really test it and to search it. And then he gives this as an encouragement. He says, listen, when you're looking for wisdom, as you're exploring your doubts, as you're testing your faith, ask of God and he will give generously to you wisdom or answers or peace. And so my prayer is this, that as we're working through this series, that you would allow yourself to doubt, to question, to explore, 
that you would test your faith, that you would not think that doubt and faith are opposites, because in fact, it is healthy. Because when you do not allow yourself to think and allow yourself to explore, because all of us have questions, what is produced in you is really an immature faith. And so we want to be people that think. We want to be people that doubt, that question, that explore and allow ourselves to think and to share. And my hope is also that this church would be a safe place for you to do that. In the book of Jude, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. I pray that this church would be a place as we move through this series and into the future where you can come in and you can doubt and you can ask questions and you can feel safe to do so and not feel like someone's going to treat you differently or treat you with less dignity or with less respect or assume that because you have questions, therefore, you don't actually believe in Jesus Christ because doubt and faith are not opposites. And so tonight, as we chase after answers and we follow what the teacher, the Kohelis, is going to share with us tonight, he is going to first start with exploring meaning, something we're all searching and something we all desire. And here's what he says in verse 2, second sentence of the book. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. You're like, wow, what a way to start a book. You know, like you were just getting excited for a moment there, right? You're like, okay, we're going to explore, we're going to think, we're going to doubt, we're going to everything is meaningless. Like, this is where you bought the book on Amazon, and at the second line, you're like, not for me. I'm going to put it down. And maybe when you read this verse, right, he says, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. You're like, Carter, I don't agree with that. I have a lot of books that I've read that tell me about meaning. And I also Googled how to find meaning in life, and I got 46 million hits. So there has to be meaning in life. I actually did that. There's 46 million. Depending on the words, you can have more or less. I actually Googled this as well. I Googled how to find meaning in life, and Google was very generous. It gave me five steps. Right on the very front, here's what it says. Here's, if you're wondering, here's how you find meaning in life. Is what Google says. It says, one, stop playing by the rules. <laughs> Two, step out of your comfort zone. Three, find your joy. Four, listen to your intuition. And five, appreciate the individual moments. That sounds really good. Sounds like something you could put on your Instagram. You could hashtag Motivation Monday. You know what I mean? Like, there it is. The question, though, is this. It's not that these five things are wrong or they're bad. Step outside your comfort zone. Stop playing by the rules. Find your joy. Listen to your intuition. Appreciate individual moments. The question is, if you follow these five steps, will you find meaning in life? Deep meaning fulfilled, satisfied, content, meaning in life. The teacher here in Ecclesiastes 1, the very second line of the entire book wants to let you know, no, you will not. Everything is meaningless, even the five steps. It's meaningless. And I want to kind of dissect that for a moment because the word translated here is meaningless, but in Hebrew, this word is hevel. And what it really means is vapor. So what is really being said here by the Koheleth, by the teacher, is everything is a vapor. Completely a vapor. And what is a vapor? A vapor is something that is temporary. A vapor is something that is fleeting. It's something that you can enjoy for a moment. You can see its beauty for a moment, but then it's gone. It is here for a second, and then it is gone. And the teacher is saying that everything is a vapor. 
It's temporary, it's fleeting, you can enjoy it for a moment, and then it's gone. How many of you here uh, have a diffuser to unleash the, the sweet aroma of essential oils into your home? Raise your hand. How many of you have a diffuser? A lot of you have a diffuser, and a lot of you are not raising your hand right now. It is very in, okay? It is very in. I'm not sure what essential oils do, but they sound essential. <laughs> what the teacher is saying is that life is like the steps that you go through to unleash these essential oils into the atmosphere. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that you can put your rosemary or your peppermint oil into the water of life. And then you can take the necessary steps to turn it on and to activate it, and the vapor is going to come out. And you can even sit down and enjoy the vapor for a few hours. But what is going to happen after a few hours? The water is going to be gone, and the peppermint aroma that you were enjoying is going to be gone. And you're going to have to restart the cycle. You're going to have to put more water in. You're going to have to put more essential oils. You're going to have to go on Amazon and buy some more essential oils. Then you're going to have to plug it in, turn it on. You can sit and chill again, enjoy it. Then it's gone. He's saying that life is like this. You can enjoy it for a moment. You can take the necessary steps to produce something that brings you happiness and causes you to relax, and it's beautiful, and it's enjoyable, but it is a vapor. It is gone. And it doesn't matter what you do, you cannot change that. You cannot change the fleeting, temporary nature of life. It is a vapor. In fact, it's not only the sweet peppermint vapor, it can also be the old, dirty diffuser. I haven't changed the water in three years, and someone turned it on, and now I want to throw up smell, right? It could be that as well. It can be a very unpleasant vapor that you're experiencing, and it doesn't matter what you do, that will also be a part of your life because bad things do happen to undeserving people. It's the nature of life. Life is chasing after vapors. It is enjoying vapors for a moment, and then they're gone, and it is suffering through unpleasant vapors for a moment, and then they're gone. This is the nature of life. It is chasing after wind. It is chasing after vapors. And then look at verse 3. Here's what he begins to say next. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? It's like he immediately, he's just jumping right in. He's like, no, 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 I find meaning in my work. And he's like, okay, well, what do you get for your work? What do you get for all that you do? All the stress and all the anxiety and all the dedication and all the focus that you pour into your work is a reward worth it. What do you get? You get money, you get status, you get appreciation, maybe you get comfort, you get some unique experiences, but all of those things are what? Vapors. They're gone. They're here for a moment, you enjoy them for a moment, and they're gone. And you have to continue to hustle and to grind and to work to keep it up, to keep the treadmill going. He said, what do you get for all of this? They are fleeting. Doesn't matter what you do, you can chase and you can work and you can grind so you can get to the weekend and have a wonderful, relaxing weekend that you enjoy, but guess what's always coming? Monday. It's always coming. It doesn't matter what you do. Life is this cycle, it's this treadmill, it's this chasing after vapors. And you think to yourself, Carter, yes, but you know what? I'm not working just for money. I'm not working just for achievement or recognition or unique experiences or comfort. Those things I will enjoy fine. But I'm working to make a difference. I'm working to leave a legacy. That's what gives me meaning. Well, the teacher knows that we're going to say this. And here's what the teacher says in verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. History merely repeats itself. 
It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. He says nothing really changes. History is making and unmaking itself. You can enact great social change. You can invent better business practices. You can, you can even cure a disease. You can do great things and create and make great things. And in the future, it will either be unmade or expanded upon or forgotten about because history is constantly making and unmaking itself is not a pleasant thought to think about. You think to yourself, like, how can you say that? How can you say that it's a vapor and it's not going to be remembered and it's going to be unmade or expanded upon and forgotten? The teacher says that the sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north and around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. And then water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Here's how the, the teacher responds to our doubt. When we're thinking about, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that it's chasing after vapors. I, don't, I mean, I, I believe that I can find meaning solely in the fact that I'm looking to leave a legacy. And I, I think that I can be remembered. It could make a huge difference. The teacher says, the problem is there's a thing called time. And time does not care what you make and what you create or what you fix or what you heal. Time is a constant, and it will continue to go on forward. The sea will never fill up. The wind will blow where it wants, and the sun will rise, and the sun will set. No matter what we do, and no matter what you do, no matter what I do, it will wipe away all that has ever been made. And generations will rise up in the future, and they will say, here is something new, but it's not. It's expanded upon something old. Nothing is new under the sun. It is a cycle of life that is constantly repeating itself, and the only constant is time, and life is chasing after a vapor. And the human struggle constantly remains the same. And that's, here's the human struggle in verse 8. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. We are constantly, as people, chasing after vapors, struggling with contentment and satisfaction. Constantly, no matter what we make or achieve or do, we're constantly struggling with satisfaction and contentment. Everything is a vapor. And right about now, you're thinking to yourself, I should have skipped this Sunday. I was hoping for some joy, some motivation. I was hoping for something that I could apply to my life this week. Like, Carter, if you would have stopped at the five steps you Googled, I would have been good there. You know, like, my goodness. Like, I want to take a nap or go to sleep for a week. This is exhausting. It is, right? This is, like, heavy to think about. Life is a vapor, it is temporary and fleeting, and doesn't matter what we do, the cycle will repeat itself. That is hard, and it's exhausting. It's difficult to think and to process and to begin to doubt in this way. And it's especially hard because all of us right now are struggling with this because deep down inside of us, there's a desire to find meaning, right? We all want meaning. We want meaning for our life. We want to know that we're on the right path, that we're doing the right thing, that we're making a difference that we're not just wasting our days. 
And, and we know that this is true because our culture teaches us how to find meaning. And here's the answer that we are told on Instagram and on Facebook and in commercials and in conversations at the office. Here is the answer that culture tells us. If you want to find meaning, just look within. Look within and determine what you believe will create meaning for you and then go create it and you'll find it there. So if you believe that you're going to find meaning in work, you can. Just go work and hustle and grind and try to achieve and think positive and you will find meaning there. You just got to go for it. Get out of your comfort zone. Break the rules. Go for it. If you think you're going to find meaning in relationships, you can. Just invest and pour out your love to people and, and sacrifice for those that you love and that are around you. And you can find meaning there. If that is your joy, then go for it. You'll find meaning. If you think you're going to find meaning in balance, then create a schedule. D determine the things that you value and put those on the schedule and balance them out in your life and don't let anyone else come in and mess that up. And you can find meaning there. If you think you're going to find meaning in experiences, then save your money and travel and live simply and you will find meaning in those experiences. If you think you're going to find money, meaning in knowledge, then read and study and accumulate a lot of knowledge. You'll find meaning. If you think you're going to find meaning by giving back and leaving a legacy, then get involved. Serve, engage in the city, promote change. You'll find meaning there. Culture tells us the same thing in different ways. If you want to find meaning for life, you look within yourself and you determine what you believe and think will create meaning and then you go for it. And when you go for it, you will find meaning there. That's what culture tells us. The problem is this. Every one of us in this room, in different seasons, in different times, no matter whether or not we are following after the desires of our heart and we're running after those things that we think we're going to find meaning in work or relationships or having a balanced life or experiences or gaining knowledge or giving back and leaving a legacy, whatever it may be, we struggle with contentment. We struggle with feeling satisfied. We struggle with asking this question like, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? Am I making a difference? Is there meaning to my life? We all struggle with that. And as much as we don't want to admit it, what the teacher has said here kind of connects. You're like, that resonates a little bit, and I don't want to say it. That it feels like chasing after vapors. And the teacher here is going to identify with us because the teacher is saying, I thought the same thing. I thought that if I just look within and then chase after the things that I believe are going to bring meaning, that I would find it there. But I didn't. Verse 12, it says, I, the teacher, was the king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything that had been done under, this, under heaven. I soon discovered that God had dealt a tragic existence to the human race. The teacher is saying, I had every opportunity. I was the king. I could pursue anything, and I did. I pursued all these different avenues to find wisdom and meaning, and I didn't. And I've come to the realization that we have been dealt a tragic existence, which is this cycle of life, this running on a treadmill, this chasing after vapors. The teacher says, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it's all meaningless. It's all vapor, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. 
To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. The teacher is saying that the more that he sought after all these things that he believed in himself would bring meaning, it only brought greater grief because it was never found. And I think there's two questions that you're asking yourself right now, which the first one is this. Is the rest of the book like this? The answer is yes. But the, the, the teacher will get more specific. It's going to cause you to think and to explore and to question and to doubt, and that is a good thing. So I hope that throughout this series you come back ready to think and to explore. But there is hope, I promise. There's hope on the horizon, and the teacher will begin to explain that throughout this series. I think the second question that you're asking, the question that I asked myself as I was reading this is like, okay, I got it, but is it possible to find meaning in life? Is it completely just chasing after vapors? Because if it is, and if there is no meaning, that it seems like the only response to life should then be just enjoy the vapors as they come. Try to turn on as many diffusers in my life and enjoy all of them until it's over. And the teacher is going to say throughout this series that yes, you can find meaning, but what he's wanting us to identify in the very beginning is that we as human beings constantly look in the wrong place. We look in the wrong place and we chase after vapors and we'll never find them there. C.S. Lewis has this quote in Mere Christianity. It's on the very front of your worship program if you want to read along with me. It says that the Christian says that creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. C.S. Lewis is tapping into what the teacher here is wanting us to identify as we think and as we doubt and as we explore, which is if we chase after the wrong things, if we chase after vapors, we're going to constantly feel on a treadmill in this cycle of life that time is wiping out everything and it's meaningless. But what we see in the whole scope of scripture and the teacher will begin to unveil throughout this series as well is that God puts desires into the heart of his people and every desire has a place to find satisfaction for that desire. So when you're hungry, there is food. When you're thirsty, there is drink. And so if we all desire to find meaning, it means there must be a place to find satisfaction and contentment to fill that desire for meaning. So the problem is not with our desire. The problem is with where we look to fill that desire that we chase after vapors. So where can meaning be found? The answer is in the one who created the desire in the first place. That's where meaning is found. Listen to Colossians 1. Paul says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul is speaking about Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the invisible God made visible. God made flesh. 
and he's the firstborn of all creation. And that kind of throws you off. You're like, firstborn, does that mean like there's like God and like Jesus was like created by God? Because I thought you said that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. I'm kind of confused. Well, the word firstborn simply means preeminence, supreme or over. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God who is preeminent over all of creation. He is supreme over all of creation because Jesus is in fact God. He goes on and he says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus, whose God made visible, who is preeminent over all of creation, the creator of creation, because Jesus is in fact God, he has created things visible and invisible, which is to say he has created your desires. Your desire for meaning is created by Jesus, by God. And it says in verse 17 that he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. So Jesus, God who made everything, God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that has created all things, Jesus, who is the visible image of the invisible God, is actually the author of your desires. And all things are held together in him, which is to say, if you're looking for satisfaction, real, true, deep, constant, not fleeting, not like a vapor, satisfaction for the desires that are rooted deep down in your heart, go to the one who created them in the first place. Because in him, all things are held together. He is the source of satisfaction for all desires because Jesus is not a vapor. He is not fleeting. He's not temporary. He's not enjoyed for a moment and then gone. He doesn't even require necessary steps for you to turn it on and to activate it. It's actually given by faith, this relationship with God, which is deep and eternal and lasting. By faith in Jesus' life and his death and his, his resurrection, and you come to understand that you cannot earn or deserve God's love that has been given to you by God's grace, which is undeserving favor, you are connected with the one that has created the desire in your soul in the first place. The problem is we chase after vapors instead of looking to him. That's where meaning is found. In verse 19, it says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of the cross. In Jesus is fullness. In the very beginning of John chapter 1, the the gospel of John in the New Testament, John says that in the beginning was the word. And this word is logos. That's the Greek word logos. And the Greek and Roman philosophers, they would uh, ascribe the logos to the indescribable. So they had all these gods and they had all these philosophies and they said, listen, there's something that's above it all that's preeminent, that's the, the source of meaning and it's, it's the thing that holds everything together and they didn't know how to describe it so they said, we're just going to call that the logos. In the very beginning of John, John says that Jesus is the logos, the preeminent one, the one who has created and holds everything together and provides meaning That in him is where meaning is found. And Jesus himself claims this in John 10, 10. Here's what he says. I have come that they, that you may have life and have it to the full. That in Jesus, you can actually find meaning for your life. You can find satisfaction and contentment 
and a life to the full. And I think Ecclesiastes prompts us with three responses. And the first one is this, is to return to Jesus. If you're here and you are a skeptic and you've been doubting and you've been kind of staying away from God, you're not going to find satisfaction and contentment in chasing after vapors. You're not. It is only found in a relationship with God and returning to Jesus. And maybe that's for the first time. Maybe that's for the first time in a long time. But Ecclesiastes and the teacher and the rest of Scripture compels us to say, the only place I'm going to find satisfaction is in the one who created the desire for it in the first place. That's where I'll find meaning. So my prayer is, and my encouragement to you is to return to Jesus. And you're like, I don't know what that means. Well, I would love for you to come chat with me after. It can be a simple prayer to return to Jesus, the one who has created your desire for meaning in the first place. The second response is this, is to recognize the vapors. My, my challenge to you is this week, take a moment, take some time, turn your phone off, put on your diffuser, whatever you need to do, you know? Get out a journal, open up your phone, and begin to journal and to write down, what are the vapors that I'm chasing after? What are the things that I believe are going to bring meaning to my life but are fleeting and temporary? And I may enjoy for a moment, but they're not going to provide lasting meaning. And there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the vapors of life. But if you believe that they're going to bring you meaning, you're going to be disappointed. Because they're not. Write those down and process those and think about them. And then the third step is this. Engage in this church and in the city. This is how you begin to discover and to identify and to connect with meaning by first turning your affections to God and then engaging in the way that he calls you to. So engage here on Sunday night and come ready to think and ready to worship and engage in developing new friendships with people that you haven't met or you've only seen in passing. Engage in a community group and have these conversations and opportunities for you to actually doubt and to share things and to wrestle through things with other people. Engage in serving and in giving. And then also engage in the city. Engage in your office and be available and be kind and be open about your faith. Engage in supporting good businesses and organizations looking to better the city of Miami and engage in showing love to your friends and your family and your coworkers and your stranger and strangers and even enemies. Because here's what Jesus says and what he models. He says that meaning is found in what? Loving God who's created the desire in the first place, and then doing what? Loving others. That is where meaning is found. So return to Jesus, recognize the vapors, and engage in this church in the city. Will you pray with me?